0: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm Beau Pruitt. I'm the director of student ministries here. And I'm thankful that you came out to spend this afternoon with us. If you have checked the news as of late, you'll agree with me when I say that there is something terribly wrong with our world. Something so disturbingly off about the way things actually are. It often feels as though the darkness is ever compounding, like we never get a chance to catch our breath. There's never a chance to heal. It's just one thing after the next. And there are moments, particular, terrible moments, where the darkness seems so thick, so heavy, so dark, that we can't see our hands before us or our feet beneath us. And though we know the world is broken, there's a helplessness that's attached to this realization because even though we're able to say the world is not the way it's supposed to be, we ourselves are broken. And we know firsthand that we have contributed to the pain and the hurt and the violence We are floating and yet utterly bound. We are helpless and simultaneously culpable. We are prisoners to a pervasive darkness that exists outside of us, but also completely inside of us. I think that's why I personally, and probably many in here, resonate so deeply with David's words in Psalm 40 that were just read, where he says in verse 12, Troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs upon my head, and my heart fails in me. For David, exterior troubles and interior troubles result in a form of kind of overwhelm. He can't handle the reality of sin, it's too much for him to bear. St. Paul uh, talks, you know, just a little bit about sin in Romans, if you've ever read that one. And he notes that slavery to sin leads to death. And in that same chapter, just a a few um, lines down, he says, in the wages of sin is death. For St. Paul, sin and death are not two conversations, but one. Sin and death, are brothers that kind of function in a symbiotic relationship. They are, if you will, of the same pedigree. Death enters the world through sin, but then sin leads the world into death. Death comes into the world from sin, and then sin leads the world into death again and again and again. You could call this relationship uh, between sin and death a lethal loop, a lethal loop that is seemingly unstoppable and unbreakable. But that is why we're here today. We're here today on Good Friday because Jesus died to break us free from the lethal lethal loop of sin and death. And his means of doing so was the giving of his very self. We gather here on Good Friday remembering our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who John the Baptist announces is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one in our Eucharistic liturgy we call the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb, who through his blood we have redemption so that death might pass over our door now and forever. On Good Friday, we behold the cross, and there's a dual revelation that takes place when we behold the cross, two things that become very clear. The first comes through simply looking at the the terror or the horror of the events surrounding Jesus' death. When anyone, Christian or not, thinks about the story of Jesus, just the historical story of his suffering and his death, your heart can't help but sink. Everyone is shaken to their core. It's a darkness that is too thick too heavy to bear. John 19, our gospel reading, tells us about what our Jesus went through. Kind and true, he was flogged on the command of Pilate, who said multiple times that he had no no basis for charge against him. He was mocked. A crown of thorns was pressed into his head, a purple robe thrown on his shoulders. Hail, King of the Jews! Yelled at him mockingly. John 19 even tells us he was slapped in the face, stripped down naked, his clothes divided amongst those very oppressors. He was beaten and he was crucified. And all this is happening to Jesus while his friends, those same friends that chapter 13 tells us that he had loved until the very end, had abandoned him. Rejected him, even betrayed him. It's hard to swallow. When we behold the cross, we, in the words of Fleming Rutledge, actually see through its horror. That is to say, that the cross makes clear what is usually obscure, it is like glasses for blurry eyes. When we behold the cross in all of its horror, we see clearly, maybe even for the first time, how bad things actually are. This is the first revelation that comes from beholding the cross. When we look at the cross and our heart drops to the pit of our stomach, we know that things are worse off, not not just the world out there, but me in here, than we want to admit this vile scene reveals the sort of darkness that the Son of God has entered into. These are not, in the story told in John 19, particularly evil people. I think we want them to be. We want this to just be a really terrible sample size. It was just the the perfect storm of, of really horrible individuals who made this happen to Jesus. But I think a better way of seeing this is this is actually the most... ...honest and truthful depiction of a world that's enslaved by sin and death. The light of the world has come into darkness... ...and he's illuminated what has been and is today. There's something terribly wrong with our world... ...and there was then and there is now. But the glimmer of hope we find actually by looking back... ...at the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53... He writes, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. Though we are awakened to the brokenness, to our own brokenness, and the brokenness of the world through the cross, Isaiah 53 makes it very clear that it's actually through this very activity that we are made whole again. It's by the wounds of Jesus that we are healed. In other words, to borrow from Oswald Chambers, the cross did not happen to Jesus. He came on purpose for it, for us. The Son freely gave of himself as an offering of love for us. Isn't it him who says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends? It is in having our eyes open to our inability, to our sinfulness, to our utter brokenness, that we see at the same time that God has already acted in Jesus Christ, his only son. And this is the second revelation that takes place, that becomes so abundantly clear when we behold the cross. Yes, we are so much worse than we think we are, and the world around us is so much more broken than we think it is. And simultaneously, the love of God has already gone before us. The love of God comes before us, and it acts decisively in spite of us. After we see ourselves clearly in all of our failure, in all of our frailty, the mess that we've made with our lives, the mess that we've made with God's world, at that very same moment, we realize that Jesus has already given himself for us. Unto death, even death on a cross. It's interesting that he did not wait for us to comprehend the severity of our situation. He did not wait for penitent hearts. He did not even wait for moral reform. He simply gave himself for you. To quote St. Augustine, he writes, Indeed, we also work, but we are only collaborating with the God who works. For his mercy has gone before us. It has gone before us so that we may be healed. And it follows us so that once healed, we may be given life. For without him, we can do nothing. It's interesting in John's gospel specifically, he wants us to know that that, that Jesus was innocent. He was an innocent man. Or to follow the theme of John... Uh, that he was an unblemished lamb. The first name given by someone within the historical narrative um, to Jesus is John the Baptist when he sees him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In John's narrative of the passion events in chapter 19, Pilate states twice, twice, I find no basis for charge against him. I find no basis for charge against him. And then following that, it literally states that Pilate attempted to set Jesus free. There can be no question. This is an innocent man. And then a, per, per, uh, a peculiar detail that's told towards the end of our reading. It says it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders did not want bodies left on the crosses, so they asked Pilate to have the legs broken of those hanging, including Jesus and the two thieves, and to be taken down. It says they did, and with the first man they broke his legs, and then they broke the legs of the other. But when it came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. But instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side and out came water and blood. Water and blood. The Passover lamb was also to be unblemished, bones unbroken. And John specifically names so that we would have no question that Jesus qualifies as this particular sort of sacrifice. And why is that important? Because in the Exodus, the blood of the unblemished lamb painted on the outside of the homes of God's people protected them from death. Namely, it protected their firstborns. But Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, dies so that by his blood, all of God's family would have death pass over them now and forever. Today's is Good Friday, and I'm not one of those people who thinks we have to pretend like the resurrection didn't happen on this day. And yet, it's interesting that this is the day that we simply sit in the mess that is the world, and the sorrow that is the cross, and yet we can still call it good. And so as we behold the cross... We cry out with David. Troubles without numbers surround us. Our sins have overtaken us and we cannot see. They are more than the hairs on our heads. And our hearts fail in us. Be pleased to save us, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, help us. Be pleased to save us, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, help us. And he did, and he is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.